That's gorgeous, isn't it? Beautiful way to start. You can tell we're, we're heading down a little different path today. We're just... My name's Danny. I'm grateful that you're here. If you're new, welcome. Yeah, we're, I, I, that song is actually one of my favorite songs. Leah did just a beautiful job on that. It's one of my favorite recent kind of songs in that genre because it speaks, honestly, to the power of God and creation. It tips his hat in, in the power that God had to give life. It tells the journey. If you know anything about scripture, in the very first chapter in Genesis, it talks about God creating. And the first words he uses is let there be. He, he speaks life into existence. He says, let there be. Now, this is the God of all creation. This is the God with all power. He could have definitely made it more imperative. He could have commanded creation. He could have just demanded. He could have said, make it so. Do it. That's a lot of times what we would do. Get, make this happen. This is mandated. Get it done. But he didn't. He said it more in a just a verb, meaning it was more like a cohort, like he was sharing. He's saying, here, let it be. Here, I'm sharing this with you. Take it. Let it be. It's beautiful. So God invites his creation into creating. And, and if, if you know the story, every day that he creates something, he breathes, he says, let there be. And life forms, stars and skies and land. And at the end of every day, he looks back and he rests and he looks and he says, this is good. And on the sixth day, he creates the crown jewel of creation. He creates humankind. The ones that said that were Father, Son, and Spirit made in the image of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so I don't know if you know this today. Some of you might've come in and you've wandered in. Some of you've been dragged in. You didn't wanna come. You're like, okay, I get free lunch, whatever. So you're here and you didn't realize something, that you have the image of God placed in you. The image of God is in you, every person. And God breathed this in and he put his image. So that means that we reflect his image to the world. And when God created humankind, he sat back and he said, this is very good. This is very good. Some of you don't feel like you're very good. I wanna remind you of that today. You have the image of God in you. Maybe you're here just to hear that today. And then on the seventh day, God does something that we're gonna talk about today that's very important. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. God blessed this day and set it apart. He sanctified it, he made it holy. Made something holy means it's set apart, it's different. And he set this day apart because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God set apart a day and he made it holy for what? For rest, for rest. Now. Here's what I really believe. I don't believe that God rests the way we rest. I don't think God rested on the seventh day and binge watched Netflix shows, right? I'm not saying that that's all that bad, but, but I don't think that's how he did. I don't think he was staring into some kind of device and vegging out and saying, I just can't think about anything else because I'm so worn out. And I, just, I'm just like, I don't think he just passed out on the couch. I don't think that's the kind of rest we're talking about. Actually, I think God sat back and just took in creation, this celebration of life. He took it in. This is very good. He took it in and he rested in a unique way. That's what we're gonna talk about today because if we are 
humankind that reflects God to the world, that we have his image, that means that we need to reflect a God that works hard, but then also rests. We reflect a God that works and creates and also rests and recreates. And we get to send that image out to the world. I really don't believe God is a workaholic. I really don't. I believe that he has a balance between rest and work and he wants us to have these healthy rhythms in our life that will provide uh, and promote growth and well-being and productivity and also recreation. And I know many of us are in busy seasons of our life. It might be years you've been in this and you never realize that God values rest so deeply. There was a book that I read this summer, part of my studies, it's a book called Playing God. It's a fantastic book by Andy Crouch. He wrote another book called Culture Making. If you're a reader, he's a great author. And this book, Playing God, talks about the power of God. You're probably gonna hear this from me for months because I felt like it was such a transformative thought for me. But he talks about power. That's why I mentioned it, God's power, that he shares it with his creation to bring life to the world. And he talks about this resting and working. He says this, both rest and work are faithful activities for image bearers. In work, we apply our energy to making something of the world. In rest, we echo God's satisfied declaration, behold, it is good. And by rest, we renew our strength by acknowledging our dependence on God rather than ourselves. I want you to hold that line. That goes through our whole day. That we acknowledge through our rest that it is God that really is what we need to depend on, not our own strength. So let me pray and then let's see what 1030 brings to us today. Lord, thank you for this unique group of people that you've gathered. You're not a random God, you know what you're doing. And so you have us in a community in this little section of the world to teach us something that's rooted in you. So I pray for that, Lord. I pray that my words are not my words, but yours. And if they are my words, I pray that they just disappear. But the things that are of you just tattoo on our hearts and souls and mind. Teach us what it means to work hard, but Lord, teach us what it means to rest in you. This this rest that brings creativity and life uh, into our community, into our homes. Uh, Father, we desire that kind of rest in such a busy world. Teach us that way. You say your ways are higher than ours. We wanna understand your higher ways today. Amen. So I have to take a poll uh, and you're in church so you can't lie. And so if you do, you're like, you're out of here. Um, but here's, here's just a couple questions for you. Pretty simple, nothing too challenging. So we're just coming out of summer. Uh, I don't know if you've had a restful summer. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I want summer to continue. We've got a couple more weeks, but it's not looking great for hot, you know, weather. But How many of you took this summer and you just feel unbelievable? Like you're so rested and it's amazing and you can't wait to keep moving. How many of you feel that way? Just let me see your hands. Don't be bold. Not that many. (laughs) How many of you feel absolutely worn out by this summer? You're kind of stumbling into fall and you're just overwhelmed by busyness. Look at you. I'm there. I I shouldn't raise my hand for the first. I think I'm with you. Right? How many of you are in between? A number of you are in between, right? We just live in this busyness of life. There's a lot happening. And I'll tell you something. I have to confess something today. I really believe that this message is more for me than maybe even for us. It might be even more for me than you. Because this concept of rest, I have struggled with my whole life. 
This is some, now there are certain topics that I can talk about in my spiritual life that I feel like I have some sort of, you never are totally master your spiritual life. It's a journey, but there are some things that I feel so confident about and I feel like I'm really deeply into it. This topic that we're gonna talk about today is, is for me. I speak these words out and they need to rest on me because Paul, the apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. He would look at people and say, I'm the worst sinner of all. So I guess I'm saying to my community today, I think I'm the worst sinner of all when it comes to rest. Because in my environment, when I grew up, when you didn't work hard, and it wasn't so much my parents, it was just the environment that we grew up in. If you weren't working all the time, it was viewed as lazy. So I just started working in a very young age. And I just cranked out work all the time. I was go, 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 crank. I still to this day, you know, since I was 15 years old, I probably at least 40 hours, if not more, 60 to 70. I can do an 80 hour week, 90 hour week, and I can just keep moving. And in the last 10 years, God has really convicted my heart there. He's saying, wait a minute, slow up. You're not that important, you know? Because we're always like, we hold it as a badge. How you doing? I'm busy, I'm really busy, I'm important, busy, I'm busy. Oh, you're busy? Yeah, well, he's important, you know, he's busy. No, maybe he's just irresponsible. So, <laughs> you know, and so part of what God's been trying to say to me is, hey, slow down. Look at what you're investing in. And there's a lot of good things we can invest in. But he's really been convicting my heart. And I, I had, uh, it's been a good run in the last 10 years, but I'm still working, struggle in this area in my life, even to this day. And so this past spring, I'm uh, just about finished with my master's degree. And I've been going three straight years in a row. And I, felt, I was so tired in the spring. And I felt, I prayed about it and I asked God and God said, and he doesn't speak in a tangible voice, but he speaks through his community and through prayers. I got this feeling and a restful feeling to say, okay, you need to take the summer off and not go to school. I'm like, oh, thank you, God, definitely. And then, so I go and I get an email from my professor, William Corta, who wrote a book called Togo War, another amazing book about power. He's my, one of my favorite professors. And I get an email from him, hey, are you gonna be part of our cohort this summer? And then the cohort friends jumped in, oh, you gotta be part of this class. I'm like, what is it? And they tell me what it is. I'm like, oh, I love that. Okay, I'll join. <laughs> and so I took school this summer, completely disobeyed God. Now, here's what you're thinking, I think, right now. Here's a guy that can't obey God and he never rests. I'm not listening to another word. He says he's a terrible pastor. You're right. So, so I get into my summer and you know what? It was a wrong choice. And I knew it pretty quickly. Two weeks ago, I knew how bad of a choice it was because my family needed me on another level this summer. I knew exactly why God said no. And I had to sit back and go, man, I have a hard time resting. It was not a good choice. There's gonna be consequences. Now I will say this, I took this fall off because I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I completely disobeyed you. You told me not to and I did. I'll take this fall off. I'll live with my consequences, whether or not good. But that happens. I want you to know that even from my perspective, sometimes we elevate pastors or we elevate leaders. You have to know this is a journey and we're in it together. So this message speaks to all of us, including me. I'm not talking down to you, I'm talking among you today. And hopefully every week I do that and we do that. But today is not about condemning work. It's not about condemning hard work. I don't want you to be hitting the person next to you, see you work too much. You know, I don't want you know, kids to condemn their parents. Uh, I, don't want, I don't want this to be a technology bashing. Oh, this technology today, that's the whole problem with these kids. They're always looking at their phones. I don't want any of that. It's not the problem. I don't want to shame any of that stuff. I don't want to do that. What I want to try to do is bring pers God's perspective to the idea that we need to be able to break from all of these things and rest without us going like this. 
We need real rest rooted in God. And so God valued rest so much. He knew the importance of it so much that he built it in one of the most famous parts of scripture, which are the 10 commandments. Now it's interesting. The 10 commandments are kind of informally known by everyone, even the Jewish culture is the 10 commandments. But in Jewish culture, in the Hebrew, it's actually called uh, Aserat Hadavarim. Aserat means 10, Hadavarim means words. So the, the Jewish culture sees this as 10 words from God or 10 thoughts from God or 10 statements or 10 sayings, declarations, 10 things. Now here's the fascinating thing about the 10 commandments that just struck me recently. It starts out with a statement, I am the Lord your God. And that's the, the, the beginning of the 10 commandments. The end of the 10 commandments ends with the word neighbor. Lord your God, neighbor. Where does that come from? Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, all the law and the prophets hinge on this commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Ten Commandments are shrouded and are bookended with God and neighbor. Love your God. And so these Ten Commandments are showing us how do we love God? How do we love our neighbor? I think it's also about power, and that's why I talked about power a little bit in the beginning, because I think each one of those words... Those 10 words speak to the power struggle that all of us are in. This power that we can make things happen, that it's not God's power, but our power. The power to lord over things on people and wanting to grab things and move things and grow. Now that's not inherently bad, but when power becomes something that holds people down, then it doesn't love your neighbor well. All of a sudden you start to see it play out. I think these 10 commandments really speak to that. And it's interesting too, that eight of the commandments are negative, thou shall not, two are positive, thou shall. And the Sabbath is a thou shall. And so here's what, let me read it to you in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner or foreigner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He set it apart. He made it to look different. How much of your schedule, how much of my schedule is set apart and made different than the rest of my week that I have control over and that I work? How much of my schedule do I release my hands from and say, God, I give you this time that is only for you, that I sit back on the seventh day and I celebrate life with you. How much of your schedule do you have built in that does that? How much do I? What is your journey there? Because I believe it has a key to our life to help us flourish and to be rooted in who we're really created to be. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, he's big in the civil rights movement. He said something really brilliant about that. He said, six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from it. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in our souls. Then listen to this line. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to somebody else. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Jesus would say it this way. And scripture would say, you can gain the whole world, but lose your soul. You can gain the whole world, everything in it, and lose your soul. And God say, I have something for you. So you don't lose your soul. I have this Sabbath 
Why is the Sabbath important? Why did God command it uh, to us to rest? Why is he asking us to rest? Why did Jesus rest? I think it's important. We're gonna look at a couple thoughts that I'll share with you. I'm sure there's more thoughts around this. You can bring them to me afterwards. The first thought is this. Sabbath is for remembering. Sabbath is for remembering. The very first word in this fourth commandment or this fourth word is what? Remember the Sabbath. Remember, remember, as we set time apart from God, we have time to slow down and to remember, to remember who God is, who we are, what he's doing, what he has done. When we slow down, we can have a chance to remember. And what we tend to forget sometimes, even within our culture, is that this Sabbath, this particular Sabbath is being honored all around us by the Jewish culture. One of my closest friends, one of my mentors, Marie, she was a high school teacher, uh, my high school teacher, she really came around me. And high school years are hard. If you're a high schooler in here, I feel you. Uh, those are hard years. And she came around me like a mother. And she was like a second mom to me. And then now she's basically a big part of our family. We call her Auntie Ree. She comes with everything. I can't remember last time she hasn't been a big part of our family. But she's really um, connected to her synagogues and connected into the Jewish culture. And I called her the other day and just had her tell me, how, tell me what Sabbath is like for you now. What is, what is it like? And she goes, oh yeah, let me tell you. Sundown, Friday, I get, we get invited to people's homes. There's this dinner, uh, there's community. It's around family and God and community. They come to our house. We have everything set up. It's a little fancier dinner than you would normally have. We have songs connected to it, prayers connected to it, blessings connected to it. Then Saturday, it continues, depending on the actual Judaism that you're involved in. Some are more strict than others. And then by three stars, you have to see three stars in the sky on Saturday. That's where Sabbath ends. So for this 24 or 26 or 28-hour period, whatever it turns out to be, it's set aside in their community to acknowledge God, acknowledge their family, acknowledge their blessings. This is happening every week. <laughs> Interesting. Sometimes we forget we forget it. it was just a beautiful, beautiful picture that she painted for me. And I really thought it was funny because even in the or some Orthodox religions, you have to understand that Sabbath is intense. Like you can't even push a button to, 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 to engage a machine. You can't even spark fire. You can't do anything, anything that would even remotely look like work. Josh Korn, who's our leader, uh, worship leader over at Orient Campus. He's telling me a story or telling our team a story about how they went to Israel recently and they, were, they didn't realize it was Sabbath and he's trying to get the elevator to work to take him up to his room. He's like, what's wrong with this thing? You know, it was like really funny. He did, it, it would, they don't have it working now. Sometimes they have kosher elevators where they actually get in and it's already automatically and they take you to every floor. Now look, if you're on the 100th floor, Lou, you'd be in trouble, right? You'd have to hit every one. But it's amazing what happens in this, why? All of this is a reminder of one thing, that it's under God's power, not our own, that we get sustained. It's not our own striving, it's not our own power, it's under God's power that sustains us. Ultimately, it's only by the power of God, the ultimate power source, that we can thrive and flourish. So we break from our own busyness and ability to produce, to stop and to remember where the true power comes from and where the true creation is found, where the let there be is. It's only in God. I love this by Andy Crouch. He, he says it this way. Rest without work is sloth. Work without rest is, well, what is it, right? Busyness, sloth, idleness, laziness are indeed failures in our human calling. The failure to take up our image-bearing responsibility to make something of the world, but... Busyness and restlessness are the deeper temptations. 
Busy, restless, Sabbathless people are idolaters. They have displaced the creator God who both worked and rested with a God who is no true God, the God of relentless productivity who can never stop to enjoy, celebrate, or to use the commandments, resonant word, remember. Say remember. One more time. Without remembering the Sabbath, listen to this, we cease to remember the creator God who made the world and called it good. Without the Sabbath, we cease to remember. Remember God who stood back and went, says, good. Because we're in this relentless cycle. I've found that one of the most powerful tools in faith is memory. And many times when we're running so quick, we, we don't have it, you know? We're, we have our mind filled with all these things, but when we slow down, we can remember. And so I've told you that I run hard, and I always have. And there has been three times in my adult life where I've run so hard that I've, I've collapsed. I've had three kind of what you might call burnouts, different levels. The worst one happened only about six years ago. And so I'm, we're in life, Amy works hard too. We've had, you know, we've had that mantle of, I'm busy, <laughs> you know, he's important. And uh, so we just push, push, push. And that's reality of a lot of your lives. And that's, the world tells you that's a good thing. The world will say, you're high capacity, let's promote you. You're busy, you're, you're, let's get you up, you're awesome. They're lower capacity than you. That's not true, by the way, but that is how the world operates. And so you can start to wear the mantle of busy. And so we just, pre we were pressing through our life. Then we press through our family and there's all kinds of stuff happening in our family. Then there's an illness in our family that starts to take. Then there's other stuff that's happening around us. Then our work, both of our works get really intense. We have some financial things happen. And then one of my closest friends is diagnosed with cancer for the third time and she starts going down the end of life road. And it was spring of that year. And then we had this big, beautiful dog, this, this St. Bernard. And that dog was, had just a lot of symbolic meaning in our life because he was a dog of healing. I don't know if you've ever had a dog or an animal like this. I know it's, it's odd, but we, we actually prayed for this, something like this, and this dog kind of fulfilled it. It was this beautiful uh, moment in our family. That dog got sick and it was dying. And so I had to take the dog finally by myself on this particular day because of how it worked out. I had to take it to the vet and we had to put her down. And so uh, I was in there, the vet, it was very obvious that I was making the right decision, but it doesn't make it easier. And all of this stuff is on me and I'm never rested in a healthy rhythm and pattern. I've pushed myself to the edge. And I'll never forget when I'm sitting there and everything happened and it was quiet and the doctor left, says, you can stay as long as I am. That was it. Like I just literally just, like I had nothing left. And I knew it. And so I came to my boss's office <laughs> like a few days later and I said, listen, I know this may cost me my job, but I have to leave. Like, I'm just, I have nothing. I'm done. I'm burned out to the worst I've ever been in my life. I just hit the wall. And he said, okay, I took all my vacation. They were gracious with me. I was gone for two months, three months, probably three months, and just rested. Just said, okay, Lord, I need time. Like, I've run so hard. Have you ever been there? Maybe some of you have. And it was really then, probably six, seven years ago, where God was like, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? Why are you running so hard? It's not how I've designed you. God doesn't need endless productivity. He needs endless surrender in. He needs us to come to him and rest. 
Some of you need to hear this today. And I know some of your realities and it's hard, I understand, but there's ways to grab rest and God's saying, you need it. Because here's what God knows. Stuff is going to happen in our life. That's just reality. I'm not being negative. And what he's saying is every week, will you put a little rest of my rest in your pockets? Because I'm telling you in about six months from now, you're gonna need six months of rest in your pocket as a backup plan. You're gonna need that energy when you don't have any energy. And if you keep burning the candle at both ends, you're never gonna have that. And God's like, I'm telling you, I know. God actually knows, he knows. He's saying, I want you to have rest. I want you to have rest. Next one is Sabbath is for freedom. Deuteronomy 5.15 says this. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Isn't it interesting that God's to his people are invoking their memory. Remember who you used to be. Remember who you used to be. You used to be under the impressive power and a slave under this power that didn't care about you. And you had to work seven days a week and you had no decision in the matter. He says, now I'm entering your circumstances and you know what I'm gonna do? The first thing I'm gonna remind you of, I need you to rest. It's a different ball game. I don't need you to be under this. You are not a slave to me. I'm giving you this beautiful gift of rest. He ties actual Sabbath to freedom. He ties Sabbath to this idea that we're in chains. He's like, I need, that's not true. And it's interesting to me that there are so many things that chain us up in this world. Yes, of course there are. I understand them. There's a ton of them. We, we, have, we are slaves to many things that drive us to work and not to rest. The idea that we want to be important, that we want to have some kind of achievement, status or wealth. We want to uh, you know, have the approval of others or to live up to other people's expectations false expectation, to please people, all of these lead us to be slaves to our schedule and this inability to stop and to rest. And God is saying, listen, the Sabbath will ultimately bring you freedom. This little moment that you set apart in your week, in your time, in your schedule, that is going to bring you a sense of remembering where the real source of power comes from and a sense of freedom. Tim Keller says it this way. God liberated his people when they were slaves in Egypt. God ties the Sabbath to freedom from slavery. Anyone who overworks is really a slave. Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave to a need of success or a materialistic culture, to parental expectations or all of these above. These slave masters will abuse you if you are not disciplined. Remember that there's a discipline in the practice of Sabbath rest. And then he says this great line, Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. Sabbath says, I'm gonna put this on my calendar. I would almost say, I'm gonna put it on my calendar and this is, this is freedom. I'm gonna look at my calendar and look at that day and that moment and that time is freedom. So Sabbath is for remembering. Sabbath is for freedom and Sabbath is for trusting. When we have this discipline of the practice of the Sabbath, it leads us to trust God more and our faith grows. And you know, if you know anything about scripture, it's really fascinating. God has almost like a Sabbath ladder that you can climb. And the Sabbath, this Sabbath of one day a week, and then there's another Sabbath, and I'll explain to you another Sabbath that he has in Scripture. It's really fascinating we can learn from. Leviticus 25. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, and he said this, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, don't forget that, God's the one that gives, that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath for the Lord. For six years you shall show your field, 
And for six years, you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. Isn't that interesting? Here's what God's saying. Even the earth needs to rest. Even the earth needs to breathe. And we know this scientifically. We know that the earth actually, if we wear it out, it will not produce anything. There is a diminishing return there. So we know that the earth, the actual earth needs rest. And God's saying, listen, I'm asking you to do this. Now, for us, we're not this agricultural society or you know, in particular in our area. So we don't understand how deeply this request is, how intense it is. This is how they made their living. This is how they fed their family. And God's saying, hey, I want you to do something. I don't want you to do anything in your land. I don't want you to produce anything for a whole year. I want your land to rest. Wow, that would, that would mean that they would have to be disciplined and gather things into their barn and get stuff ready the year before and make sure that all this time they're socking a little bit away, a little bit in your pockets every day so that when they got to that seventh year, they would have freedom. And then what would happen? They would have to trust God for that year. Their trust would skyrocket. And not only that, but I think all other things would start to happen in their communities, different kind of communities. Relationships would become closer. They would probably experiment with things like art and music and all of these different beautiful things that were happening, but they could pour themselves even more into it because they didn't have the daily grind of a year. Fascinating, isn't it? And then there's actually another Sabbath on the top rung of the ladder, a Sabbath, all Sabbath. It's called the year of Jubilee. And it was seven times seven Sabbath, on the 49th year, on the 50th year, they would take a break. And here's what they would do. This is amazing what they would do in this particular Sabbath. This year of Jubilee, the people of Israel were to reset their status and their privilege and their power by returning land to its original owners and canceling the debt accumulated in times of personal and national crisis. On the 50th year, everyone would go back to their heritage and reclaim their own land. Every 49 years, the lucky and the hardworking would give up their excess gains so the, the less fortunate, even the less diligent would get another chance to work the land and have some kind of resource. Some kind of, this is a radical act of God saying, we can reset all justice. We can actually give away what we've built for 49 years and we can give everyone an opportunity to have an opportunity of wealth. Now here's the fascinating thing about that. There's no record in scripture that ever happened. God said to do it. There's no record in scripture it ever happened. And even historically, as far as I know, there's never been a record of that ever really happening. We don't think the year of Jubilee ever happened, but God said this would benefit the world greatly if you did it. Isn't that amazing? What's the point of all this? Here's the point. The point is this. God wants his people to trust in his power, to remember where it came from, to have freedom from the things we strive for and to build our trust and our faith in him. It is the power of God that is a true source of power, not our ability and power as humans. And when we observe the weekly Sabbath, we observe this Sabbath time is an act of trust. It's realizing that God is the one in control and he's the one that can provide. There's actual tangible examples of this in our real world business world. So uh, Truett Cathy is the owner of Chick-fil-A. Does anyone like Chick-fil-A? A lot of you? I don't, I've never really understood this whole Chick-fil-A thing. 
Last service, I said, I don't know about Chick-fil-A. I don't think it's okay. And this guy, he, he, he pulled me aside in the lobby. He says, I'm from Atlanta. And I, and I want you to know something. He goes, I know the owner of Chick-fil-A. He lives across the street from me. I'm going to tell him that you think it's just okay, and they're going to build one right across the street. Yeah. <laughs> so I start laughing. And then he tells me all these amazing stories about the owner of Chick-fil-A. But here's what we know about True Cappy. He actually would take every Sunday off in his business. That was his discipline. And he would take those Sundays off and they would say, they would equate it to now, right now they probably lose $47.5 million a year because of that decision. One guy told me he was at an Atlantic Braves uh, game last week and Chick-fil-A has all the the whole restaurant things around the, the ballpark. It was a Sunday, all closed. He's like, can you imagine the amount of money they're losing? But he closes them. He respects the Sabbath. There's also another company run by Orthodox Jews. I think it's called B&H. And they have a store right in Manhattan. I think it's on 9th Street or wherever it is. A big store. Close it on Saturdays. And then they close all their web. They don't let any orders, anything come in. Two examples of businesses that have decided to push away millions of dollars to honor this time. Because they knew the value of it long term. And God knows the value of it long term. Obviously, Isaiah writes about it. He says, if you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interest on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways and serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. Here's what I want you to hear today. When we honor God, when we set that time apart, when we have this time, guess what happens? God says, I'll honor that. You give me that and I will take you to places that you can't imagine. I will meet you there. I will take you there. Trust me. Remember where power comes from. I'll liberate you. And I will take you up to a height that you have no idea. I have one more small thought for you and then Jalen and the team are gonna lead us we're gonna pray publicly together and then we're gonna corporately and then Jalen's gonna lead us in a musical thought. I have one more thought for you. Before we do that, we're gonna receive our offering. So ushers, whenever you're ready, you can come down. I wanna make this clear. Uh, if you're brand new here, this does not have to be your moment at all. We really sincerely mean that. This is for our community that says, hey, Lord, I'm in. You know, I really wanna be a part of what's happening here. I love what you're doing here. We invest in that. It's an act of worship for us. And I do wanna say this about this idea of giving, this idea of tithing, I find it very similar to the Sabbath in terms of a discipline for me. Because I grew up in a church, in an environment that said all the church wants is your, all the church wants is your, they all want your money. And so for years and years and years and years on end until well into my adult life, I would never just go, okay, here's here's money. I'm not gonna give the church the money. That's all they want. Tithing for me was an exercise of exactly what we're talking about with the Sabbath. When I made room in our life, when when God said, give me this, and I gave it, there was freedom, there was a remembering that God is the one, there's a trusting. And so honestly, this act for a number of us is an act of trust, it's an act of love, it's an act of worship, it's an act of really just remembering who's in charge and what he's doing. So this is a very similar discipline to me, the way I look at it. Last thought I have for you is this. Sabbath is, it's a very simple thought. Sabbath is for our well-being. God loves his children. He knows what's best for them. 
And it's for our well-being. God's like, I have a gift for you that I want to give to you, and it's for your well-being. Jesus knew about this. He spoke about it. He spoke about the idea that this was created for people as a gift. Then Jesus said to everyone around him, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. It's like, I have a gift for you. I know what's best for you. Jesus observed the Sabbath. He rested. He's God himself. And God is saying, listen, I have something that is absolutely key to your flourishing. Key to it. Many times we're like, I don't know why I'm so tired. I don't know why things are so great. I don't know why things, rest. So this is what I've had to do over the last six years, last 12 months, and then certainly over this whole summer, I've been doing something different where I've been looking at my calendar very intently. And I'm gonna challenge you this week to do this. Even today, talk about it at home. When you're in the office tomorrow, look at your schedule. Uh, kids, when you're working in all of your extracurricular things, students, look at all of this and say, where am I putting my time? Here's what I've, we've learned over the years. Where you spend your money, where you spend your time is what you value the most. Where your money goes, where your time goes is what you value the most, period. And when you look, if you're like me, I have to be connected to my calendar. That's just how I work. I'm not that organized anyway. So I put everything in my calendar. What I've been recently doing is color coding my calendar. Something's wrong with me. And so I'm putting different colors in there. But I wanted to know what's my work color? What's my personal time color? What's my family color? What's all these different kind of things that I can write in there? And then what is the time I set aside for the Lord? And what I found is it's, it's a lot smaller than it, it should be. So here's what I'm gonna challenge us. Richard Foster does this in his book, The Disciplines of Spirituality. He, he writes this too, Spiritual Disciplines. He says, put your time in your calendar with God. Put that in first. It's just the whole principle of even giving your first, first fruits that you have. You give it. Go to your calendar, put your time in with God first, and then build everything around that. Try it. I'm really challenging our community to do that. And then here's what I would say to you today. Sometimes we say, like even when we're having this connection fair out in the lobby, and sometimes that can seem like just something else that we have to do or that we wanna do or this or that. Here's what I would say to you, and, and, and Val, you know this. The time that you lead, Val's an amazing Bible teacher, leads our DIG men's study group and a number of other people. He travels, teaches all over. He's an amazing uh, scholar of the Bible. You know this. You know that that time with men in that group has been some of the most fruitful time for our community and for you. And so sometimes what we have to do is let go of half our Netflix binging to make a little bit of room for a group. You know, connect in a group, connect to the alpha class, connect in. So we do these things to give you opportunities to put in your scheduled time where you can rest in God and rest with your community and learn and be with God. And so when you go out there at the end of the service, connect, see if the Lord would bring you something. Here's what I'd like to end with. I'd like to invite everyone who's able to stand. And then I'd like to recite some scripture together. We don't do that very often, but I'd, I'd like to just read four or five scriptures. And then I'd like to read a corporate prayer that can just remind us of the value of rest and the beauty of rest. If you, if you wanna go in the Bible, there's a lot of scripture that, that references rest. Let's read these few together. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. 
For all who have entered into God's rest have rest from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to the loved ones. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Father, lead us in a way that we understand what it means to rest in you. Father, I ask that you train our community to a place that works hard and then rests, puts time away in our schedule to only celebrate you. Give up our productivity, give up our striving, and just fix our eyes on you, Lord. I pray that. Amen.